This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Georgia, Georgia. Hey, it's the Matt McNeil Show for your Tuesday. Matt, Patrick here. Nice to have you back, Patrick. We've got a lot to get to today uh, because of what broke last night in Georgia. And the first person I'm bringing on right away is going to help us break down the legal side of this. Jack Rice is our legal expert, and he's kind enough to join us today to talk about uh, the, the, the charges in Georgia against Donald Trump and a whole slew of other people. Hey, Jack, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great to be with you. Well, okay, first of all, your thoughts as this came down last night, this was a, you know, it was expected, but it was, I mean, the first thing I heard a lot of legal experts say was, this is very thorough. (laughs) You know, this one's interesting to me because I've been spending a lot of time in Atlanta over the last few years doing a lot of work for Court TV. And so I have a lot of friends of mine who practice criminal law in Atlanta, in Georgia. And so I've been watching and knowing that this is coming. There's a lot of it, a lot of preparation in Atlanta, this coming out of this particular county. So this was really a big deal. And people knew it was coming. This one is different than the other three sets of indictments against the former president. So it's going to be wild to watch. Let's start with, and if you don't mind a little class for most of us, you know, laymen here, we don't understand this. This is falling under RICO charges here. Can you explain? Most of us probably remember RICO from the Batman movie uh, or the name of the guy from Battleship Troopers, but uh, Starship Troopers. But uh, no, RICO, it's it's a very specific type of a lawsuit, uh, charges against a, a group of individuals, correct? Right. Okay. So let's go really, really, really big picture, and then we'll narrow it down. In the United States, there's really two different sets of of courts. There is the federal courts, and then there are the state courts. And so they actually run parallel to one another. And sometimes you'll find that cases can be charged in one court or the other court. Now, occasionally, they can actually be charged in both. And so what you'll find is, think um, Derek Chauvin in the George Floyd case, right? Yeah. So remember how Derek Chauvin was actually charged in state court here in Minnesota first, and then he got charged in federal court, and that actually happened in St. Paul. Remember that? Yes. Okay. So that's an example of what can happen in state court and federal court, and those all are going on sort of all at the same time. Now, let's talk about what RICO is. RICO was established back in 1970. And what it actually stands for is the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. RICO was designed to go after mobsters. And that was how it was originally established. And typically what it was for were things like money laundering, bribery, drug trafficking, and that sort of thing. But this is really about how it was designed. It was designed to basically say, I want to go after the head of the mob. But the problem is, is the head of the mob isn't doing all these things. He's got a bunch of guys underneath him doing these terrible things. And what we want to be able to do is collectively look at the terrible things that they are doing and then tie them and wrap them around the neck of the mob dong. 
So that's the idea of what RICO is designed to do. Now, as we were talking about just a minute ago about the federal versus state, now let's narrow down what RICO is in Georgia. And that's important in this case. So what happened in 1980, Georgia decided to have its own RICO law. So in other words, this applies to state laws inside of Georgia, and they're using their own form of RICO. And it's very similar in some ways, but this is the part that was important to me because I started talking to friends of mine who practice and have been practicing for decades inside of Georgia. The difference is that Think of the RICO law federally, which, by the way, is extraordinarily broad and extraordinarily aggressive. The Georgia law is like that law on steroids. So what they actually did was they designed it with that purpose in mind. So what they do is it's broader than even the federal law. So now what you can do with it is it essentially expands what it is that the federal law can do by saying, it applies to more than just certain acts. It actually applies to a whole set of specific uh, crimes. A bunch of those are in this indictment against Trump. But more importantly, what it really does is it also includes attempts. So in other words, the idea of what you're trying to do, not just what you did, and then it does something else. The federal law requires something called continuity, meaning two different acts or more in concert that were designed to create a particular outcome. And it has to be done in a really short period of time. Now, the Georgia RICO law is actually different than that. What it says is two separate acts. And if those two separate acts can be used to get that ultimate outcome, not that they are or tied together or there's a timeline, it's not necessary. That is enough for Georgia RICO. This indictment against Donald Trump and the rest, there are 19 co-defendants in this case, and there's 41 counts. They are already saying they have 161 incidences that tie these two pieces together for Georgia Rico. Now, why that matters? It's the most serious charge. Mm-hmm. It comes with anywhere between five and 20 years to serve. This is gigantic. This is a bomb. There's there's a, a point I want to get to in here in a second, but I'm I'm, I'm setting this question up for you because you, okay, you just pointed out the difference between the Georgia RICO and federal RICO. I also want to point out the fact that the reason why this case exists in Georgia is because it starts in Georgia from their perspective, I and mean, with the with the fake electors, with the people allowing Trump's people to break in and look at the voting machines in the certain counties and take that information. The fact that you can track back the orders coming from the Trump def- legal team. It it really does kind of blossom from that. It, it, it's kind of a, a a very good case of how you can start small and you know see the full tree from uh you know and how it, it blossoms from there and how it grows from there because they just did start looking at this from the Georgia side but ended up finding a lot more there. Oh, you're absolutely right, Matt. And again, there's another piece of this too. And think of this from the perspective of jury. There's sometimes when you're thinking about crimes outside of RICO, and you're talking somebody did, what is possible is the ability to isolate those from one another and say, big deal, big deal, big deal. And so in other words, what may end up happening is the jury could look at these things in isolation and say, what's the problem? 
the idea that you called the governor twice, Kemp, the idea that you called multiple times to Raffensperger, the secretary of state, both in Georgia uh, and big deal. They and themselves. The problem is it's sort of like, the, you know, the analogy of, of an elephant where you say, oh, I look at one little piece of an elephant. Oh, that's a snake. I look at one little piece. Oh, that is the end of a tail. Oh, that's a piece of hair. What is that? That it's hard to see the elephant. Well, the beauty of RICO from a prosecution standpoint is you get to bring in enormous amounts of evidence to create a full picture and then wrap it together to say, understand the extent of this conspiracy. Hence, we're going to use at least 161 overt acts by these people to show the crimes that were committed. Mm -hmm. But I should add, this is one interesting thing, because I've been watching the coverage, too. This is actually what is frequently and almost always missed by everybody I'm seeing nationally, is that there are 30 unindicted co-conspirators. These are the people who could have been charged, but they're essentially giving immunity. Or they cooperated and they decided for whatever reason not to charge them. But the point is, is all of these people are lined up. And all you need are two to get the RICO charge, mm -hmm. five to 20 years. That is the bomb that I've been discussing. The Jack Rice, of course, joining us. Jack Rice Law, Jack Rice Defense as well. That's where you're going to find his law firm at jackricelaw.com. And, of course, best defense attorney in Minneapolis, St. Paul, hands down. Jack, the um, have you gotten a call from Trump at this point? He's burned through basically every lawyer in the country at this point. Dude, let me tell you what. The problem is right now is it's not just Trump himself. John Eastman, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Cheeseborough, Jenna Ellis, and a whole bunch of other people have been charged in these. Mm -hmm. So guess what? I don't want to be on the next docket with the former president. I'm real good. I'll just stay right <laughs> here in St. Paul and do the gig that I'm doing. The, the point I was bringing up. <laughs> thanks for offering. <laughs> Maybe one of those lesser Georgia people. Uh, no, the, the, the thing, the, the point I was, I wanted to eventually get to here is that the, one of the first things I saw was analysis saying that Trump's going to try to take this to federal court because he's going to try to argue that this had to do with a federal case and, and that's just that. What you've just explained to me is this. The RICO laws in Georgia are different, so you really can't just shift this to federal court because he's being charged under Georgia law, as well as also Georgia seems to be able to going to be able to make the argument is that regardless of whether or not this was a federal case, this had to do with our state electors and, and counties being violated in that. And the fact that Trump was calling you know, people and asking for votes, that ties in. But the real basis here of the crime is what happened locally. What is your thoughts? Do you think that there's a chance that, and well, I guess there's always a chance, but how likely is it, do you think, that the, the case, Trump will be able to convince the case to get taken out of Georgia and put into federal court? Oh, I think they're going to lose completely on that. Okay. I, I truly do. I mean, there's your real difference, is that what what the prosecutor can do is really focus in on what crimes were committed in Georgia, applying Georgia law. Yeah. Because remember, this is just like what we talked about with Derek Chauvin. The idea, is it double jeopardy that you can charge somebody in state court and federal court? No, it's not, because you're actually charging them under different sets of charges. So you could even charge them with essentially, essentially the same thing, but you're packaging it differently. That is the exactly what they did to Derek Chauvin. Mm -hmm. So he may want to do something like this. I mean, remember, the former president is now facing 
91 different charges in four different indictments. We got New York City, we got Florida, we got D.C., and now we have these state charges out of Georgia. And by the way, again, if I had to be afraid of any of them, I might be the most afraid of the Georgia ones. Because those are the ones that are in some ways, the I don't want to say the easiest to prove, but they, they are actually going straight at the conspiracy and all of these people who committed them. And all you have to do is wrap them around the neck of this guy and say, Trump didn't have to do anything himself, but he's been so public in terms of his support of it that that can make him the co-conspirator that takes him down, even if he didn't himself commit any of the overt ultimate acts. Well, and Georgia also presents an interesting problem for Trump, where his whole goal right now is to win the presidency in 2024 so he can pardon himself for these other cases. He can't. The federal laws on pardoning do not apply to state charges. And so this stays in the state of Georgia. This one's going to stick whether he wants to or not. And that's actually what I think he's most scared of. Well, boo hoo hoo. All right, good enough. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, how I got about you, my brother? That's, that's my deep philosophical uh, <laughs> analysis right there. It's spot on, too. Uh, okay, let's look at the crew of co-conspirators here. Uh, I got to believe, I mean, the fact that these guys, I mean, I said this before, January 6th was a coup attempt done by the stupidest people on the freaking planet. And proof of that is the fact they left a paper trail or a digital trail, however you want to call it, fairly clearly between the top and the bottom of this whole thing. It is, I'm glad to see this in Georgia because, in my mind, this is what we should see in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, all these states where there are the fake electors. Them taking this seriously that someone tried to overthrow the government of the United States and they tried to do it with our state. How you know on RICO cases? You know the obviously the you know you get people to flip. You get some right now. People are starting to sweat, and people someone's going to flip here. If you get enough people to flip, it becomes a slam dunk on, on the rest of the way up. Correct. Well, that's exactly the reason. That's why it always works. Because what you can do is you you bring that this conspiracy charge, and then you start from the bottom up. But you don't really have to in this particular case. They got thirty people lined up. They got 30. And remember, they only need two. And here's the other aspect of this is the Fulton County District Attorney, the DA down there, Fannie Willis. She's actually known. Again, I spent a ton of time in Atlanta in the last couple of years. I'm going to be down there in the next two weeks. I was just there about six weeks ago, four weeks ago, whatever it was. And what we had is somebody who in many ways, she really came into office using this. She's really good at it, too. In fact, there was one, uh, uh, one, one of the convictions that she's dealt with that she dealt with a ton on these cases uh, that was really sort of one of the things that brought her in was something called Young Thug. And Young Thug was, was, was a rapper, but it has to do with an indictment with two dozen alleged gang members collectively creating this conspiracy. But that wasn't the only one. There are a bunch of other ones that she's done. So she's done this over and over and over again where you take the collective efforts of multiple people and you show what each of them have done and then you wrap them around each other like three or four or five braids, uh, threads into a braid to show what the conspiracy is. And that's exactly what she was so incredibly successful at. So she's trained at it. She's good at it. She knows this law like probably nobody and she can come in and do that. 
That is what a good prosecutor can do. Mm -hmm. The the president, the former president, can talk all day long about how uh, seriously uh, he doesn't worry about this, doesn't care about this. He's calling a racist, all sorts of crazy things. And yet, at the same time, he should be afraid of this one. Mm -hmm. Because this one applies to a set of laws that, frankly... I don't care who he brings in, and there are some incredibly fine criminal defense attorneys in Georgia. You're going to have to have somebody who is extraordinarily good for this, because when you don't have the evidence, um, you don't have the evidence. Well, and in the documents case, it's interesting because the the, the two guys in the documents case, Trump is keeping them right next to him basically the entire time. He's trying to keep control. He's not going to be able to do this. And I've always said, if I'm Trump, and I want to try to get out of this. The two that I can throw under the bus, well, maybe three, are Giuliani, Eastman, and um, and Powell. Because those three show up in basically a lot of this stuff that's against him. And all of a sudden, one day, he can try, he can try to play the stupid dupe and that these are the people that were directing things about it. And he might be able to get away with that because there is enough evidence, especially with Giuliani, of him trying to you know, you know, pull the strings behind the scenes. You know, do you think that Trump himself might actually realizing that there's no way out for him, basically say, I'm going to try to throw other people under the bus? No, 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 no. I mean, I think he'll throw people under the bus. I mean, you know, history speaks for itself. You can take a look at basically anybody he's ever worked with. Contemplate he's going to hire the best of the best when he was president. And you can see what it was that he did to his secretary of state, multiple uh, secretaries of defense, anybody in any position of leadership, uh, secret- uh, everybody, frankly, everybody. And you can go back in his history. So he's more than willing to burn anybody and everybody to the ground. But the problem that he faces in this particular case is the only relevance that he has is his ability to run and his ability to potentially win. And so we have a very old man who doesn't really risk the realities of a prison sentence because I'm suspecting that he'll be dead before there's any resolution of the appeal process, even if he were to lose. But it would impact his ability to serve as president. And so when we think about that, I think his fear is that it's, it's the fear that he will be irrelevant and the infamy that gets wrapped around that. And so I don't think it's going to help to say it was everybody else and not me, because I don't think you're going to see the DA in Atlanta in Fulton County let him walk. I don't think you're going to see Jack Smith turn around and say, we're going to let the president walk because they want this, these convictions. And that's the problem that the president has. He was always able to turn around and walk away from the Taj Mahal and all the other bankruptcies he's had because the the laws allowed him to do that. And he was relatively scot clean and he could just wipe his hands off and move on again. This doesn't allow him to do that. He becomes nothing but the irrelevancy that so many are seeking to make him into. One last quick thing here. And you brought up uh, the, the case in D.C. He's Trump just can't shut up. At this point, he is, I think, in that case specifically, and I could see it in any of these cases, he's in jeopardy of basically finding himself in contempt of court. You know, it, you know, it, this is we're, once again, we're down in a unique situation. We've never been in this case. You know, do you think a judge would actually get to the point of you're endangering people? We're going to fine you, possibly confine you. I mean, is that even a possibility? You know, I never thought you know, I would see that. 
except for he just did it again to the judge, yeah. not, not for the first time in, in Washington, D.C. And this is a federal judge. You got to understand, federal judges don't take crap. They really don't. And it's just the truth. And so that changes their willingness to do what they're willing to do. And I think what we're going to find is that if, if, if I think about what the president's doing, the former president is doing, and I think about this as a former prosecutor, I think about this as a criminal defense attorney for decades, is that there are times when I've been in trial and other places where one of the best things I can do to somebody who won't shut up that actually helps me is all I do is I say, what else? <laughs> during, during cross-examination, during direct examination, whether it's where I, or when I'm doing crossing somebody who's my adversary and they're saying crazy, stupid things, my response is, what else you got? Tell me more. No, no, no. I want to hear everything else you have because he is more than willing to burn the world to the ground in order to think he can walk his way out of this. Oh, yeah. Well, the problem is, is I can't count the number of times I've had circumstances where people think they can talk their way out of these kinds of things. These are very, very difficult to walk your way out of just by talking fast and, you know, huckstering your way through it, because this is going to be a tough one for the former president. Well, you're spot on. I mean, he'll burn this country to the ground to try to get out of this. And and that's just the reality of it. But we get at least watch uh, the, the disaster happen. I, and, and I'm enjoying the fact that this guy is finally starting to get held accountable. JackRiceLaw.com. JackRiceLaw.com. Jack Rice is the best defense attorney in Minneapolis, St. Paul. If you need a defense attorney, call Jack, sit down, explain your case. He'll give you honest advice. He is absolutely the best. I stand by him 1,000%. JackRiceLaw.com for Jack Rice Defense. Jack, as always, we look forward to seeing you back on Court TV before too long, and thank you much. I appreciate the time. All the best. Thank you. Take care. Jack Rice. Um, great. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. Come on back. We'll wrap up a little bit of what he has said here. Uh, and yeah, just spot on analysis of why Georgia is a big problem. It is indeed on Trump's mind. We'll take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil show. I'm going to break this down a lot more coming up here on the backside of this hour. Uh, and about, should mention Patrick Cooligan joining us with, uh, Brett coming up here as well in a little bit here too. Uh, so make sure you stay with us through the whole show today. Uh, Georgia is a really dangerous place for him to be because, I mean, okay, you already see in the documents case in Florida, you already see that he is, you know, using this judge that he has put in there. And I have zero doubt, and I'm sorry. That Cannon, the judge down there, I have zero doubt that there are communications between him, his, maybe not his legal team and her, but his political team and her, kind of trying to guide her to get him off the hook on that one. The goal here is to basically, and like I said, this is a guy, and, and, and Jack said it and I'll say it, he'll burn this country to the ground to escape. He is he is not patriot. He's not an he is not a proud American. He has always only been in this for himself. And he will destroy this country for his own machinations. And and that's the truth. And shame, shame on all you Republicans who are going along with this and acting as if this is just political. No, it's not. 
it's pretty airtight cases. And I want, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take a quick break. Thanks to Jack for joining us. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come on back. I want to really take these Republicans to task because I'm going to explain exactly what they're going to do down the road when it becomes undeniable that they are they're going to try how they're going to try to revise their history of 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 how they stood up to Trump at that time 952-946-6205 952-946-6205 take a break come back Matt McNeil show right here on AM 950 AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Trump throwing temper tantrum after temper tantrum. Why? Because he's finally, for the first time in his life. I mean, Donald Trump is the kid from a league of their own. (laughs) Yeah, he is. The kid that started whining a little bit and mom always shut him because he got a candy bar. So he learned basically if he starts complaining, gets a candy bar. This is a guy who has never been held accountable. And he is suddenly really being held accountable. The only reason I want to I want to make sure we we talk to Republican voters and I talk to Republicans overall, uh, Republican politicians, Republican voters. He's not running because he wants to make America better. As a matter of fact, what I think he's going to do is he is running for office just so that the second he can get in. He is sworn in. The next day, he pardons himself, and the day after that, he resigns the White House and flees and runs away. Now, it becomes a lot more difficult with the Georgia case, and I'll talk more about that here in a little bit. It becomes a lot more difficult. But if he can manage that, that's what his – I don't think he wants to be president again, although I think it helps him out. You know, he he used it to basically – you know, make a mint as much as the Republicans like to scream about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Burisma. The reality is, is they seem to forget and or they intentionally ignore. How about I say it like that? They intentionally ignore the fact that almost on a daily basis in this country, we were hearing of special sweetheart deals for Ivanka and special investments for, 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 you know, for Eric and stuff like this that was happening with worldwide. No, the fact that that the world leaders were basically buying out his hotel in D.C. It was it was the fraud amongst fraud. He's you know he's not there because he wants to make America great. And as much as we can criticize, you know, I think we can make some arguments. About the two Bushes, maybe, maybe a little more on W. I think W just was trying to be there for legacy. But when you look at Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, to a point, H.W. Bush, to a point, to a point, Reagan, but not really. I mean, Reagan had machinations, but Reagan, I think that he he truly felt his machinations were the right ones. Carter, uh, I'll skip those two clowns. Johnson, Kennedy, Eisenhower, for sure, Eisenhower, they all ran for president because they loved this country and they felt they could try to make it better. 
that the American people chose them and they said, you know what, I'm up for the challenge. Let's try to make it better. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of was critical yesterday of Dean Phillips is because, you know, Joe Biden has done a lot of good things. So if you're saying – and this is the – by the way, and, and a quick little side note here is if Dean Phillips or anyone that says Joe Biden shouldn't run, what you're really saying is we need to put an age limit on the presidency. And that's what you're saying. But you don't want to say that because you don't want elderly voters getting mad at you because of, of that. But that's what you're saying. You, you're saying there should be an age limit, whether that's 70 or whatever, that you can't run for president after this age. That's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. I mean, that, that's, you know, that, that's a whole thing. And you, you might get mad at me and say, well, that's not what I'm really saying. I was like, eh, you kind of are. Because... Joe Biden, if he wants to run for office again, he deserves to run for office again because you know what? He's, he's been pretty successful. That being said, I'm going to move that aside. Donald Trump is not that person. Donald Trump is only there because he loves people worshiping him. He loved being able to call up the media and manipulate the media into covering what he wanted being able to say something outrageous on Twitter and basically becoming the lead story of the day. He he loved it. He absolutely loved it. He loved the fact that he he could basically go on out there and imp- not it's not like he was it was HW Bush or or Reagan where they had these agendas in place. He, he just he just wanted to go out there and say, "Hey Vlad, you think I'm kind of cool cuz I got a golf course?" Aren't that kind of cool? I got more golf courses. I'm really cool, right, Vlad? Right, Vlad? I mean, it was just this pathetic attempt to look at certain people and get him to get them to think that he was cool. He's in trouble now. He's someone sent me a fantastic, uh, um, a fantastic uh, visual. Uh, it basically, my, my friend Chuck. Uh, he, he said the average U.S. president has been charged with two felonies, and he shows the list of presidents, and the only president that's been charged with any felonies is Trump, and he has got 91. So on average, you know, <laughs> he is the most corrupt, most inept, worst candidate in the history of American politics. He's a narcissistic man-child who basically has never been told no in his entire life. And basically, he will use racism and bigotry to get the racist and bigots basically on his side. So even the pseudo-light racist and bigots, will he'll appeal to them because they feel as if he's preserving their culture. And so they'll fight to the death to make sure that he stays in power. He's scared to death of being held accountable. And so his entire argument right now in running for president is to basically pardon himself, which, by the way, I also, and I didn't have a chance to talk to Jack about, is a real legal question on whether he can do that. That's why, that's why, and he knows it, by the way, and he knows that. That's why his screening process for the next vice president is going to be huge. The, the first question he has is, when I leave office, if I have to, you have to, you have to pardon me. And that's going to be a prerequisite for anyone that wants to be his vice president is that you have to carte blanche, pardon him for everything. But once again, the Georgia case is separate. I'll get back to that here. 
He's horrible. He's a horrible person. He's not. This is not a political witch hunt. This is not, you know, the the weaponization of the the judicial system. This is you 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 guys basically invited you know Jeffrey Dahmer to dinner and are surprised he's starting to munch down, acting as if him eating one of the guests is somehow misunderstood by the public. As he screams, "I'm not really a cannibal. You watching me eat someone else? That's the problem." And you guys are like, yeah, stop watching them eat people. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's. I heard Cataboo say this, and I and I thought this was pretty good. She goes, the, the the Republicans are so desperate right now to 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 wave this away. It what they're doing is bringing up arguments that it would be like, so Bill Cosby had some quaaludes. What's the big deal? So Bill Cosby liked to have drinks with women. What's the big deal? So, Neither one of those is the problem. You're kind of missing the point. They're trying to boil it down. But it is interesting that the new narrative on Trump is not he's innocent, but rather, oh, he was entitled to think that he could steal the election. He was entitled to think that he, if he honestly thought he won, well, trying to overthrow the government of the United States is perfectly legitimate. So it's there is this very very distinct change in how Republicans refer to him that they are all now indeed saying yep he broke the law. But it's these Republicans like Emmer and Stauber and Fishbach and Kitzner who are sitting there and he's not done anything wrong. He's innocent. That's poor sweet little boy. Oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just think of him like in a in a bonnet and a diaper with a, a pacifier in his mouth. Look at that poor innocent man at 70. Not like a child. Just Trump today in the diaper, in the bonnet. And I shouldn't give him any ideas. But, the, you know, with the pacifier sitting there. Look, look at this sweet innocent child. How dare you try to hold him accountable for trying to overthrow the government of the United States? Who does it like feces wiped on the wall of the Capitol? Huh? Huh? Communism. That's, that's what, that is what the Republicans are, are, are le, le, you know, left with. Just basically gibberish. Which is why I want to very, very strongly recommend in regards to I mean, my, my message to the Republican voters is simply this. He doesn't care about you. You're just dupes helping him try to basically get into office so he can pardon himself. And you are stupid enough to think that that's something. And it's not. Republican politicians, I get it. You're going to when, – when it becomes undeniable and when, when you know eventually he does pass away – Jack made the point is that considering the legal system in this country is that the, the likelihood is he'll probably pass away before any final judgment is actually handed down and he'll have the chances to appeal or anything like that. And so he, he doubts that he'll ever serve time in jail. But we already know what you guys are going to be like when that does happen because you're, you, you're so terrified, terrified of standing up against this truly horrible human being that right now your blind allegiance is he did nothing wrong. Hunter Biden. <laughs> That's what you guys are. 
And eventually, when this does go away, likely because, as Jack sort of said, eventually, you know, he's an older man. Eventually, the he'll have years of appeal, so there's a decent chance he might pass away before he, there's any final judgment. When that does happen, sure, for a few days, you're going to be like, see this poor, poor little boy that was persecuted by the Democrats. And then all of a sudden, you're going to start changing because you're going to realize – the vast majority of the people are done with him, and his real legacy is actually starting to get realized by a majority of people, especially as the baby boomers pass away, too. And suddenly you're going to be like, you know, I don't ever get the idea where you guys thought I was against holding him accountable. I clearly condemned Donald Trump many times during his, you know, during his time in office and afterwards in his reelection campaign. They're going to try to revisionist history this stuff. And you can't let them do that. They want if if Tom Emmer and and Staubach and the rest of these Republicans want this, make sure that you know even when the guilty verdict is handed down, you're the one that was blindly defending him. You're the one that was saying, "Nope, nothing wrong, nothing bad, nothing bad happened at all." Ugh. The I, I mentioned with Jack. One of the things I'm actually very happy with in regards to this case is the the length and the depth of who all else has been um, being charged in this case, and 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 the fact that they that this case is doing what I wish some of these other states, and I'm looking at you specifically, Wisconsin, um, that that this this. I wish you guys would go and hold this as as serious as the Georgia people are because this was an attempt to throw out that state's votes. Wisconsin, that's what happened. When they tried to send fake electors, they were trying to throw out the voice of the people. The people of Wisconsin chose Joe Biden. And they tried to overthrow that, not because they were right, just because they were sore losers. And... It, I, I really, really wish the other states that had this happen. Michigan, Michigan's doing a fairly decent job. I should give them somewhat credit there. But, you know, it, it really is just obnoxious to see, you know, states like Wisconsin sort of like, well, I think they've learned their lesson. No, they haven't. They've, the lesson that they're learning is, yeah, we can do this and we're not going to be held accountable. Well, let's try to do it again. Let's try to do it again. The people who are are being charged uh, here these 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 the eighteen other people who are being being indicted this is a this is a beautiful Rico case by the way um the the, the fact is is that the, the they're going after some of these state people and, and and like I said I think this is where what makes the case in Georgia so strong and basically prevents them from being able to strip this from the state and push it into a federal court is that you have these people on camera welcoming in these political operatives to examine election equipment. You have these people knowingly inserting themselves as the real electors when they knew they lost. And yeah, the this is it's it's good to see these people being held accountable. Uh, of course, Trump, 
the Trump officials that are being held accountable, Mark Meadows, Giuliani, Eastman, Jeffrey Clark. We've heard, I mean, Meadows being dragged into this one kind of is is interesting, uh, considering as well he wasn't in the one in Washington, D.C., that that's what not there. Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, great to see Jenna Ellis now in trouble, who tried to claim God's on her side. <laughs> no. Uh, Mike Roman, uh, Ray Smith, uh, and it, like I said, you got these guys, you know, dead to rights in regards to trying to, you know, contact electrical, uh, an electric trail back to the, the Trump campaign in the Trump White House. Uh, Kenneth Cheeseborough, uh, Cheeseborough, not Cheeseborough, Cheeseborough, Cheeseborough. Uh, he's the Trump lawyer. Uh, Trevian uh, Cootie, uh, a publicist. She violation of the George Racketeer Law, conspiracy to commit solicitation of false statements and influencing witnesses. Harrison Ford, a, a Floyd, Harrison Floyd, the leader of the Black Voices for Trump. Robert Cheney, a trop, uh, top Trump lawyer. Stephen Lee, and by the way, can I tell you how happy I am to see his name here? In case you didn't know, remember who he was? He was the guy who was going to, remember when they made up that lie that said that these people were taking ballots and bringing them in and stuff like this, and they named those two people? This guy was going to people's houses and knocking on the door, screaming at them at their house. Um. Trying to influence witnesses, um, yeah. He would, and 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 now what? What's surprising is apparently this was part of the plan that someone, you know, clearly that Stephen Lee is somehow connected to the rest of these people, and they're able to, you know, get him that way. David Schaefer, the Georgia GOP chair, uh, the uh, Sean Still, a fake GOP elector from the alleged voting system breaches, Scott Hall. Um, he was tied to the Coffee County breach. Misty Hampton, the Coffee County's election supervisor, who is on tape welcoming in these people to inspect the machines, which all, by the way, had to be thrown out and bought at taxpayer expense. Kathy Latham, who is – it's delightful to see her with 11 charges. A fake elector tied to the Coffee County breach as well. She was the one out there saying, you don't understand Georgia law. We can do this. Well, you got 11 charges against you. There's one person here that doesn't understand Georgia law. It's apparently you, Kathy. And yeah, maybe, maybe you'll flip because I tell you what, you got 11 charges on you, Kathy. I don't, is that the most of anyone outside of Trump himself? Nope. Ray Smith has got 12. Um, Giuliani's got 13. So there you go. There you go. If you want my prediction on this, uh, you've got Kathy Latham has got 11 charges against her. She's in more trouble than pretty much anyone locally in Georgia, if someone's going to start doing some backflips like it's a Cirque du Soleil show, it's going to be Kathy. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come on back. Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to kind of gauge who's going to flip. In this case, I do want to make the point. Have you seen the pictures of Trump with the two other guys from the documents case and how basically they're on like a tether to him that he is not letting those guys go? You know, it, it really is kind of scary. They they seem happy enough 
but they they they're quite literally being dragged around by Trump people everywhere to prevent them from flipping. And so that's that's interesting. They're not going to be able to do that here, although I imagine there's going to be a lot of a lot of pressure. Um, Trevian Kuti and um, uh, Harrison Floyd each only have three charges against him. Jenna Ellis only has two. Now, Jenna Ellis is already in trouble. I think she's been sanctioned legally for lies she said during the, 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 the post-campaign era. And so she's already had that. But, you know, it, generally it's one of two. Oh, in Rico cases, it's not the mid-level guys that generally flip. It's the people that have a lot of charges against them or very few charges against them. And the reason why is that, you know, you can kind of get rid of I, I don't want to even have to deal with this. And frankly, the, the longer they sit around, the more they give you a chance. Mark Meadows. There's a lot of people in the the case, the, the uh, attempted overthrow of the government case in D.C., who feel as if Mark Meadows has already flipped on Trump. Meadows only has two charges against him. Violation of the Georgia racketeering law, solicitation of violation of oath by a public officer. I wouldn't be surprised if if, if Meadows indeed did flip in the other case, then this is just that's that's you're clearly easy where you're going to see him get caught there. Like I said, I think you look at this and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jenna Ellis flipped. I wouldn't be surprised if Cootie or Floyd flipped. But then at the same time, when you look at the, the, the people with a lot of charges, the lowest hanging fruit there is Kathy Latham, the, the individual. And that's the woman that you see on the images opening up the county elections office door to let those people from Atlanta who are there to basically you know either plant evidence or steal – you know, sensitive material from the voting machines into that office. She's got 11 charges. Like I said, that's a lot. Violation of the Georgia Racketeering Influence and Corruption Organizations Act and impersonating a public officer. Forgery in the first degree. False statements in writing. Criminal attempt to commit filing false documents. Conspiracy to commit election fraud, conspiracy to commit computer theft, conspiracy to commit computer trespass, conspiracy to commit computer invasion of privacy, conspiracy to defraud the state. Damn! Kathy's in trouble. Oh, oh man. It's, it's, this, is, this is harder than fantasy football trying to figure out which one's going to flip first. I think it's going to be Kathy. She's in a lot of trouble. Kathy's in a lot of trouble. If I am Kathy, if I'm Kathy's lawyer, I look at her and say, we go in, turn ourselves in, and we turn around and say, what do you need from us? What testimony do you need? The the thing about the racketeering laws in Georgia, they are jail time. So you're going to have out of all these people, maybe five or six of them being able to flip and get out of the jail time. But not all of them are. So the question then comes down to, do you want to get out of jail time? Well, you know, your, your, your careers are already pretty much done. Don't get me wrong. You'll be going to CPAC and they'll be applauding you like, he's the Jesus incarnate. But the reality is, is yeah, your, your, your career is done. At least you can have a life outside of the, 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 the big house. <laughs> Hour two, that's up next. 
Hour number two of the show here on your Tuesday. Matt and Brett and Patrick. Hello. It is the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I was doing well. I'm, I'm okay. I am a Minnesota boy. Yesterday felt fantastic. I was like, yeah, this is, this is my kind of summer right here. <clears throat> I think it was like 68 degrees. Perfect. Oh, the evening yeah. was great. Sunny oh. skies. Like, yeah, as you said, 68, 70 degrees. Outside, enjoying yeah. it. I was, uh, I was outside um, this morning. Fantastic. Nice, cool morning. Oh, great walking the dog. Fantastic. Now it's hot again. Uh, yeah, it's getting hotter uh, later this week, I think, too. Yeah. They're saying 90s? Yeah. It is. It's it, July was the hot, hottest year on record. Did you know that? Yeah, I think that was uh, everywhere, wasn't it? Globally, yeah, globally yeah. is the hottest year on record by a mile. By a mile. Ugh. Yeah, thing. Yeah, we, we we didn't break everything. Oh, great. Uh, we have to ask about you. You've heard about this small town thing that you know things are good in small towns. If things are so good, why do they keep not welcoming people into small towns? McLeod County, Minnesota. A young man with his new home is hitting some serious roadblocks in his driveway. Monday afternoon, Silver Lake City Crews bulldozed his driveway, cutting off access from the street in front of his home on Grand Avenue. Now, I want to make sure I paint the picture for you here. He's got a house on a lot. The street, the front door is facing a street. They apparently do not want him to have access to that street for some reason which is clearly the street he should have access to. Not quite sure. Clearly the street exists for a reason. But uh, the city said it was their property and must enter his lot from another street in Hale Township. I don't even want to live here anymore because like all, the, because like all of the problems I've been having, said Aaron Rasmussen. Rasmussen bought a uniquely shaped lot in Hale Township that sits on the edge of Silver Lake. He initially received an address on Grand Avenue in Silver Lake, so he received that. That was the address. But the city isn't allowing him to cut the curb for his driveway. So it's like they built a lot there. He has the lot. They just they have a standard curb there. It just needs to be cut out, so put it in a standard driveway. You see it all over the place, right? Yeah, yeah. They're not letting him do that. So it looks, by the way, like he's got a pickup truck, so he's just kind of driving over the curb into the into his next to his house where the driveway should be. Um, I went to the city council, asked for a permit, and I offered to replace the whole curb. Pay five, so he's willing to do it himself. Pay five hundred dollars a year to use the road. Agree to all the city ordinances. Be annexed. The city declined his request for a driveway, zoning, uh, citing zoning issues because of his modular home with a septic system. I don't get it. What's the big issue is? It seems like I'm doing something crazy, but it's just a driveway. The city of Silver Lake said Rasmussen could build a driveway, but it would need to be on Railroad Street side in Hale Township where his property is located. Once again, you just got to take a look at the picture. The, the road that he's trying to build off of, it's like 30 feet in front of his house. It's not like he's trying to do some, you know, you know rolling driveway. It just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um. It needs to be on the railroad street side of his uh, pro- his property is located because of the shape of the lot. He says the driveway would cut through his entire backyard, go under power lines through trees, cost him up to $20,000. I don't need to see how all of a sudden they would make such a big deal over it, his grandfather said. Now with no driveway, Rasmussen worries about his grandfather's lack of emergency vehicle access. Vehicle access. Uh, if I knew about this, I would have never built the house here. Rasmussen said he got all the proper permits from Hale Township before purchasing the lot. Last week, Cruz removed his Grand Avenue address 
and he was issued a new one on Hale Township off of Railroad Street, where he currently does not have a driveway. Um, and the city of Silver Lake is basically uh, question, directing questions to its attorney, Rasmussen, only obtained, obtained legal counsel. My guess is going to be since they already issued him the address on Grand, they're going to have a hard time arguing why they, they – if, you, if, you, if it wasn't possible to put him there, why did you give him their one in the first place? Yeah, that seems like unless there's more details we don't know about, that seems like a pretty cut and dry pay, or cut and paste story where the guy got the permit for that address. You can't just change that in the middle. This is becoming a really recurring story, though. These people out there, we got just a wholesome, great quality of life out here. Why doesn't anyone want to move here? And then someone moves there. It's like, we hate you and we want you gone. <laughs> well, I feel welcomed. <laughs> This is not the only story I, I got to mention today because this one I had from yesterday and I wanted to bring it in here. Scott County prosecutors are appealing a judge's decision, decision to sentence a former New Ulm cop to 25 years of probation after he pled guilty to sexually assaulting two girls. Quick side note, not a drag queen. All right. Eric uh, Grammentz, G-R-A-M-E-N-T-Z, Grammentz pled guilty in January to three counts of criminal sexual contact with a child from 2015 to 2022. He was sentenced by District Judge Allison Keebill to eight years in prison, but the sentence was suspended during which he'll be on probation so long as he... So wait, he sexually assaulted a two girls and he doesn't go to jail at all? Wow. So long as he doesn't violate the terms of his probation, he wouldn't serve any prison time by the way, he did already serve a year in jail prior to that uh, during education. A pre-sentence investigation, which, uh, by the way, I would make an argument, sexually assaulting two, two girls is probably one year in jail is not – that's not tough, a, a, a tough sentence there. A pre-sentence investigation, which delves into the person's background and helps the judge come up with the appropriate sentence, recommended a 34-year sentence, which Scott County prosecutors argued for at the sentencing – the judge granted his attorney's request that she depart from the sentencing guidelines because his victim requested he not be sent to prison and a psychosexual evaluation included he would be amendable to probation and outpatient sex, uh, outpatient sex offender treatment. So in his filing in the Minnesota Court of Appeals, Assistant Scout County Attorney Todd Zettler questioned whether the judge abused her discretion in granting the probation. Among the many probation conditions, the judge barred uh, Grammets from unsupervised contact with people under the age of 18 until his probation officer decides supervision is no longer necessary, banned him from having pornographic or sexually explicit material, social media accounts, or internet use except for authorized for his probation officer. I, I, I'm at a loss on this one. How do you, how do you, you know, how do you not give this guy any jail time whatsoever? I mean, wouldn't you think there'd I, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to, I'm bringing this up because I'm going to talk about something in the second half of this hour uh, about things because you, you kind of you you have to kind of have your expectations when it comes to trying to hold people accountable. But that being said, this is not you know a drinking or driving or uh, loitering or something like this. The recommendation was 34 years, and she gave him nothing. Nothing from the same people. This is out in the, this is McLeod County. This is out in these areas where it's it's far right Republicanville, and they're all screaming about we need to save children. Oh, that cop he can go free. 
I don't get it. Yeah, for all the talk about the lack of criminal prosecution in metropolitan areas, this uh, appears to be an issue in uh, an area that's not in the metro. Well, it's well, it's it's once again not a drag queen. <laughs> let's, let's let's remind everyone. Not a drag queen. We're a hundred percent sure of that, right? And yeah, yeah, well, well, actually, I don't know. I can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing in the story leads me to believe he is, but uh, no, he. It's it's not yeah. as they as they say. Um, what I will also say is this: I mean, isn't the argument that these conservatives say is that metro area there namby pamby light on crime, dude? This is you. The call's coming from within your own house, dude. <laughs> this is in your territory, and they're like, "Ah, oh, well, you know, he he won't ever go to a fast food restaurant where teenagers are working." Think about that. What was, what was the what was the sentence here? Um, he is as long as he doesn't uh, violate uh, the rules, he can't. Oh God, where is it? One second here. It's and I, well, it's, this is not McLeod County. This is Scott County. Excuse me. This is Scott County. I said McLeod County was the earlier story. Um, he basically he can't be around anyone who's a teenager. So yeah, he yeah. So yeah, he he. I I don't understand. He can't uh, he can't be in contact with people under eighteen until his probation officer decides supervision is no longer necessary. So he, what is he you know he can't go to a McDonald's where there's teenagers working. He can't go to a coffee shop where teenagers are working. I mean, is that part of the deal or? Or I mean, when he calls up Netflix to get 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 his door, he has Netflix on. He's got his DoorDash coming. Does he demand? Well, you have to send someone who's eighteen or older to drop off my food. Jeez, what what a punishment! What a punishment! Scott County man, what are you doing? This is it's it's a new new Ulm cop, former new Ulm down there. That's Republican territory, man. I just, I, yeah. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Hey, what are you going to talk about with Patrick Cooligan? So today we are uh, getting his response to the Trump indictments and specifically how a lot of our Republican elected officials have been or not responding to this. And uh, yeah, it's interesting that all of them are still in Trump's camp, coming on the heels of David Hahn nearly being removed as the party chair, yeah. and they are. Certainly not doing much to try to appeal to those uh, supposed purple districts in the metropolitan area when they're basically just going to say, oh, Donald Trump, we're good with him. Or even Tom Emmer at that uh, at that town hall saying, oh, I didn't read the indictment. Well, OK, great. You didn't read the indictment. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, OK. All right. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're talking about that with Kulikan. And then we're also going to touch on this was breaking this afternoon that Uber and Lyft are threatening to pull out of Minneapolis over their proposed ordinance, which would raise wages for for uh, a lot of the Uber and Lyft drivers. So I have a feeling they. I I, I think we should call their bluff. I personally feel. I'll get to that later. Uh, it is uh, Brett with Patrick Cooligan right here on AM nine fifty. AM nine fifty, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon, and today we are joined by the editor in chief of the Minnesota Reformer, Patrick Cooligan, as we are going to be talking about how Republicans in Minnesota. Minnesota, including, of course, Congressman Tom Emmer, who is the House Majority Whip, are responding to the latest indictments of Donald Trump. I believe there's over 90 charges that he's facing now between all four places where he's been facing charges. So we're going to be chatting with him a little bit about how the Minnesota Republicans
Republican Party and some of the elected officials in around the state are responding. Plus, we have some new breaking news regarding Lyft and Uber threatening to cut service in Minneapolis over a proposed minimum wage. So lots to talk about today, so let's bring them on in. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So I want to start off talking about, uh, well, how Republicans are responding to the latest indictments against Donald Trump. Because, uh, well, let's start off with Tom Emmer, who, of course, is, as I mentioned, the House Majority Whip, represents uh, large areas of central Minnesota in a very red district. And he recently held a town hall where he was asked about a litany of topics, which we may or may not have time to get into, including Trump's indictments, where he said, quote, it's clear that there are two different standards being applied with one person facing charges while another sells influence to people around the world off of his dad's name as you can probably guess uh tom emmer is referring to president joe biden's son hunter biden so i'm curious what do you think about how emmer is responding to these latest charges because it sounds like he's still uh, very much digging in and uh, backing trump pretty much 100 percent. didn't really show a lot of a uh, wavering support of the uh, former president during his recent town hall yeah, and actually this morning or last night he tweeted out uh, that the Democrats, quote, weaponization of our justice system continues. Uh, this time with the left-wing district attorney, he's using the latest indictment against President Trump to boost her own political career. The American people aren't falling for it. Um, I mean, to begin with, it's the grand jury that indicted, not the district attorney. But um, aside from that, I, I'm kind of, uh, I, I'm amused a little bit at when he says the American people aren't falling for it. Um, and and because it makes it seem like this is all some kind of a con. And, of course, what's amusing about that is uh, the greatest con man maybe in American history now is former President Donald Trump. And uh, and Emmer has uh, – he was in long ago on this con. Uh, May of 2016, he was one of the first in Congress to, to give his uh, full-fledged endorsement. I mean, it's hard to remember now, but – uh, the Republican Party was was pretty split. They they didn't uh, traditional conservatives, um, who I, I think Emmer would count himself among those. They didn't like Trump, um, and they were afraid uh, what would happen in the 2016 election if he were on the, at the head of the ticket. Um, but Emmer was on board early on, and uh, and now the uh, uh, now it's been seven years later and. Uh, and he's still uh, still falling for the con, if you will. Um, and in fact, he uh, he's at the point now where he has to enlist others and keep keep it going. Um, otherwise, uh, he could lose everything. And he's certainly risen to power swiftly during the Trump era. Um, so uh, it's um, pretty uh, concerning that you have. The former president now has been charged, as you mentioned, uh, 99 times, but especially in the in the Georgia case and, and then on the, the, the D.C. indictments of last week, I think, uh, where he's the, the allegation. And it's pretty, pretty well laid out that he sought to overturn an election he lost so he could stay in power. And I can't imagine a, a more serious or grave crime uh, for someone to have uh, committed against uh, the American Republic. Um, and uh, and Tom Emmer uh, is lining up with the guy who tried to do it. And I think that's something that I, I certainly, um, we're going to force all Republicans 
up and down the ticket, all the way down to down uh, to dog catcher, they're going to have to uh, say whether or not it's okay for a sitting president to try to overturn an election he lost so he could stay in office. That question will be put to every single candidate, and uh, and I hope other media outlets do the same because um, that's what's at stake in the uh, in, in next year's election. I think 22 it was it was a flavor of that, and and I think the American people. Um, uh, responded uh, very often going against the, the Trumpist right, and that's why they had uh, the Republicans had a, a, a very mediocre election uh, given the uh, circumstances. But this time it's different because he's actually going to be on the ballot, and so you're either for uh, America and uh, American democracy uh, and the Republic, or you think it's okay for a sitting president to try to overturn an election that he lost so he can stay in power. Um, I, I think those, those are choices, and that goes up and down the ballot. Um, so um, that's kind of how I'm feeling today now that we've, we've kind of uh, seen uh, everything's been laid out now in, in, the, in the four different situations that we were uh, expecting. And, and uh, so we have a lot of the facts now, and uh, it's time for people to make a choice. Well, and you jogged my memory on an interesting point you just made earlier, and that's the fact that Minnesota was not exactly the biggest MAGA state back in 2015 and 2016. And in fact, uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure we were a state that actually went for Marco Rubio in the Republican primary. We might have been one or, one or two of the only states that went along those lines. And lo and behold, now we have Tom Emmer, who arguably might be the most powerful Republican elected official in Minnesota, completely embracing a Donald Trump and his vision. Is there any better way he could possibly respond to this, or is this pretty much just all about fear of getting primaried? Because uh, I would look at that 6th district, and if he were to all of a sudden say, uh, go along the lines of maybe Chris Christie, or not quite that far, and start criticizing Donald Trump, a good chance he could get primaried, especially given that uh, his predecessor was Michelle Bachman, who kind of speaks for herself. Yeah, I mean, they're completely boxed in. The, the, uh, The party is now controlled by uh, the Trump mob, and there's nothing that that uh, I mean, if they were going to take action, they probably would have been have to be right after January 6th, and they didn't, and uh, so now they're they're stuck with them again, and um, they uh, they have to they're going to face uh, they would face the consequences. I mean, if he were to rebuke uh, Trump, that would be the end of his political career almost certainly, and uh, I mean we saw that happen. Uh, to uh, to Liz Cheney, um, who took that principled stand, and that, that was the end of uh, her electoral career, at least in Wyoming. So um, yeah, that's that's the, uh, the the problem is that uh, their own personal interests um, are at odds with the the party's long term and and even short term interests, um, and so. They're all going to have to act together, um, um, but there's kind of like a prisoner's dilemma, is what the, the philosophers call it. It's, it's nobody, uh, nobody wants to be the one to do it because uh, then uh, you're done. You're done for. They all have to act in concert, um, and of course now it's getting to be too late. Another interesting aspect to look as well, uh, and just besides Tom Emmer, is that our four Republican Congress people that represent Minnesota all come from relatively safe red districts. So, at least from their perspective, there's not much of a downside to uh, backing Donald Trump. 
But I, I do wonder if there's still concerns in Republicans about trying to appeal to the suburbs, because that's a big reason why they don't control the legislature right now, is that they are struggling to win the suburbs. And you see that compounded by the fact that the Republican Party chair, David Hahn, apparently was nearly removed from his position earlier this week. So it, it seems like, at least on the Republican side, there's just not a lot of concern about trying to appeal to those suburbs. And I wonder if part of that just might be that so many of their elected officials are kind of concerned with just only representing their ruby red districts that it's kind of getting it's kind of forgotten on them that they need to also try to win these purple districts if they want to have a chance in the state exactly uh so they're they're, again their own personal political interests um and those safe safe districts uh those safe seats are uh to continue uh with the the party line um which is that uh i guess the election was stolen um and january 6th was all set up and uh, and uh, under Biden, uh, whereas back in the real world, uh, where there are actually competitive districts, and you might be able to actually turn the Minnesota House, for instance, um, that you have to appeal to um, people who haven't drank that Kool-Aid, um, and uh, that's going to take some um, some normalcy, for lack of a better word, um, and uh, they don't appear uh, eager to embrace that at all. Well, I know you'll be writing an upcoming column talking about Tom Emmer and his support of Trump, so I encourage you to check that out over at minnesotareformer.com. But needless to say, I'm guessing uh, Tom Emmer is probably not going to be your best friend after that column, though, as, uh, as I'm, sure you're, I'm sure you're going to be uh, talking about uh, well, the fact that he is still backing an abhorrent person and uh, really not kind of caring about it whatsoever. So, uh, uh, so uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that column coming up in a few days. Yeah, that's the. Te- it's, I'm going to lay out the the stakes here. This is the test for every single uh, candidate for office up and down the ballot. Do you? Is it okay for a sitting president to try to overturn an election he lost so he can stay in office? That's the question, and uh, you better have the right answer, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I'm absolutely with you that that's a question that all of them should be asked, because I would certainly think if we had a a Democratic presidential candidate who was facing over 90 charges, uh, I know for sure that just about every outlet would be asking every DFLer, well, are you going to back the back whoever so-and-so is facing this many charges. You certainly know it would be true if uh, DFLers or Democrats were facing that. So I think, yeah, absolutely fair that Republicans are going to need to face those same questions as well coming up during this cycle. Sure. Absolutely. So, all right, I want to talk about one more uh, piece of breaking news, and this is a big one having to do with Lyft and Uber possibly threatening to cut service in Minneapolis because the city is proposing a possible minimum wage for Uber and Lyft drivers, as Uber and Lyft are saying that this would raise costs too much and they would possibly shut down operations in the city. So let's talk about what exactly is the Minneapolis City Council proposing that Uber and Lyft are so much up in arms about? They uh, uh, have proposed a plan that's uh, similar to what passed the legislature last year. They're going to raise uh, minimum rates um, and uh, create a, a process that will give the drivers uh, a little bit more um, clarity in um, when they are, they call it deactivated, essentially fired. Um, but the big issue is the minimum rates. So uh, everybody's Uber and Lyft uh, prices uh, would go up considerably. Um, it, it is, as I said, similar to what passed the legislature. And, uh, of course, the governor um, vetoed that bill uh, after uh, Uber and Lyft is- issued um, some pretty tough uh, 
uh, threatening language as to what would happen if the bill passed. So the governor wound up forming a task force. They're uh, currently considering legislation, which they'll present uh, next year when the legislature comes back. Presumably they'll pass something. But uh, in the meantime, Minneapolis City Council, the, the progressive wing of the council, decided to move quickly on uh, on their own package. And now uh, Uber and Lyft are responding once again uh, with, with some tough language. So as you mentioned, this is sort of the same playbook that Uber and Lyft followed at the state level. Is there any indication in terms of how the city council is going to possibly vote on this? I believe Thursday is when they're scheduled to vote on the ordinance. Has there been any pushback so far from city council members saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this? Or does this still look like something that could largely pass? We haven't uh, heard yet. I mean, this all is just breaking on the last few hours. I know certainly online, a lot of the online progressive response so far to our story has been, well, we should call their bluff. Um, and that um, this, the state should have called their bluff uh, back in the spring and uh, and Minneapolis ought to do so. And I, I have a feeling that, um, that, that the, the progressive wing of the council are inclined that way. Uh, we'll have to see what the mayor thinks um, and, and then the, the rest of the council um, the, the the increase in price uh, could certainly affect demand. I mean, one would assume it would. And um, and uh, one of the companies, uh, I believe it's Lyft, says that uh, uh, a th- th- their average uh, rider, uh, their median rider, uh, makes. Uh, Excuse me, here it is. Lift, uh, lift riders have an annual household income approximately 17% below the state median. So I'm kind of, I would like to uh, get some sort of uh, confirmation of that data. Um, but the argument they're making is that people use the services um, if they don't have a car, and uh, it's uh, much uh, more efficient than using mass transit. Um, and so by raising rates, what you're doing is you're taking money out of the pockets of, uh, of, of people who are actually uh, working class, middle class people. Um, and you're uh, making their lives harder because it makes it harder for them to get to their doctor's appointments and maybe grocery shopping, whatever they're using the services for. Um, and then, of course, if they were to actually just pick up and, and, and no longer serve uh, Minneapolis or only serve Minneapolis with uh, their luxury services, that would... Uh, also hurt uh, both the customers and presumably the drivers. Um, so it's um, it's complicated issue, and um, we'll just have to see uh, what the council uh, decides on. I believe it's Thursday. And final point on this, what's interesting is that if the council does end up going ahead and uh, passing this and putting the ball back in the court of Uber and Lyft, uh, that puts Uber and Lyft in kind of an awkward situation because if this does pass and Uber and Lyft end up not pulling out of Minneapolis, well, then all of a sudden you have to think, well, the state legislature and Governor Tim Walls might try this again, thinking, well, we called out their bluff in Minneapolis and Uber and Lyft didn't do anything, so why not try it at the state level? So, yeah, this could be really interesting if this passes at the local level and have big ramifications, at least uh, in the state, uh, depending on how Uber and Lyft respond if this measure does end up passing. Yeah, it's high stakes um, uh, because, uh, as you say, depending on what happens here in Minneapolis, we could see um, a replay at the legislature. And then, of course, the legislature has the ability to just preempt whatever Minneapolis does. 
um, which is why I, I try to always emphasize to people how important the legislature is, because no matter what you do at your city council, the legislature can always uh, reverse it quickly. And uh, clearly Uber and Lyft, they've said this, they, they don't want a patchwork uh, set of regulations in the two cities or wherever else. They want a uh, they want a solution at the legislature. And I think they have uh, they feel like they have some at least some relationship with the governor um, and the ability to get something that they're going to find more favorable. So uh, it's, it's an interesting new, uh, another chapter, uh, kind of chapter two here after last spring and then uh, but certainly a precursor to what we're going to see next spring. Yeah, and worth keeping an eye on to see how that vote goes down on Thursday at the Minneapolis City Council because, again, if that passes, the ball is back in Uber and Lyft's court, so we'll have to see how they respond should this thing pass. And I'm sure you guys will be covering that over at the Minnesota Reformer as well as we are just about out we'll of time. We'll be there. Absolutely, yeah. We are just about out of time for our interview today. We have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Make sure you follow all of their great reporting they do over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com. Patrick, as always, thanks for the time today. Always a pleasure. Let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, you know, something a little personal here, if you don't mind. Um, the, but I want to preface this by saying something. Yesterday I made a comment about the, the four guys that stole that car in Edina and crashed the car in Edina. And I say, sometimes you don't really think about the full circumstances of what their actions are. Um, we and I and I one of the things I try to do I try to do that I try to actually kind of look at the whole picture like like when we're talking about this newspaper in Kansas where the the police seem to have trumped up some charges and confiscated all these their drives and and their computer stuff because they're trying to basic it, and then you find out they're investigating the chief and so it's it's there I said at the very end of the day one thing I guarantee is that city's going to lose a ton of money because they're going to get sued and they're not going to win that in civil court they're just not. And sure, the, the the police chief and his entire crew will not be, you know, personally held accountable per se, but the the, the city and the county will. When I, I talked about those guys yesterday, one of the things I, I pointed out is, and if you did see the crash, I mean, that was a pretty violent crash of that car. And there were four teenagers in it. And I said, well, unless they've their parents have really good insurance – that that basically they probably one of the things that you probably don't we don't acknowledge is that since they're minors that they're probably going to bankrupt their families with medical care i mean if it depending on how injured they were now cars today are a very different breed they got airbags and all these things but they still hit pretty hard and if someone got serious injuries well that's going to go back to the parents and yeah what do you do you're all of a sudden, you know, you, you could be, I don't know the circumstances of anyone in, in, in that case, but they could be in, in a lifetime of debt because their kid was riding passenger in a car that was carjacked and crashed. And all of a sudden, now they can't send any of the kids to, to college. They can't, they can't afford a car. They have to, to work third jobs because they got to pay off $200,000 in the medical debt. And I can talk about that 
because of what happened. Now, for those who have joined the show recently, hi, thanks for listening. Nice to have you with us. In December, I was uh, I left the radio station. I was heading home December evening, and I got hit by a drunk driver. I was waiting at a traffic light, and he hit me pretty hard, real hard. Broke my back, broke my T five, my T six, and so now I am in my in my never ending quest to to turn myself into more robot than man. I have now rods and screws in my back, which are holding have, have been holding my spine together, and the recovery is very slow. When it was it was fairly quickly after this. Now, I, you know, I, I said allegedly. The, the reason I, I'm, I'm saying not allegedly anymore, this individual pled guilty um, to the, uh, the charges and um, is, is um, you know, at that point, it's, 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 it's kind of done. Um, so he was sentenced. He, he pled guilty. And he's not going to jail. And one of the first things that a lot of people asked about, because, I mean, I, I mean I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If not for the structural integrity of a Toyota Sienna, I wouldn't be here. I'm, I, well, I, I guess I could say I might be in a wheelchair if not for that. Um, but more than likely, if I was in any other vehicle, I, I just can't see how I would have survived. I mean, it really was that damaging and jarring and, and that serious. The days after that were hard, dark days. Not because I was drugged out of my gourd, which I was. I was drugged out of my gourd. So I'm going to share. I'm going to share a story with you, and it's it's it, just to kind of give you an idea of where my mind was at this time. I was lying in the hospital bed up at Fairview Southdale, and I'm trying to figure out how to move. And I think it was the Sunday evening. I'd uh, had surgery on that Saturday morning, and it was that Sunday evening. And I'm still trying to figure out how to move. And I, th- this nurse comes in. She's she's trying to help me out, and she asked me to shift. And I and and my hand slips, and I hit her breast, and I felt horrible. And she was giving me this very stern look, like I intended it. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I did not mean it. And I just kind of sat there quietly. And and after she left, and it was, it truly was. I just I was trying to shift around, and I'm trying to move my big freaking carcass around. And and it was just my hand slipped, and, and I felt really bad. I felt really bad. And she was very stern with me. And I just remember how hard that was, that here I was. I I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be in a hospital bed with a, a broken back and rods and screws in my back. I didn't want to have to be at a point where I'm having to, to relearn how to do a lot of things, how to, how to walk with a walker, how, having to learn how to, to, to just even, you know, little things. And I felt like, you know, it, it, it felt bad. I'm not, I'm not, you know, 
Obviously, it was a mistake. I felt really horrible about that because nurses are fantastic. They are. They they don't deserve a lot of the crap that they get. And so the fact that all of a sudden I was making this nurse's day really bad, I felt really bad about that. But the reality was is I kind of had an emotional breakdown at that point because I felt like, okay, what the heck's going on here? I was just trying to go home. I was just trying to go home. I was sitting – I was actually sitting – and Patrick and I were talking about uh, Kermanchek's. During the break, I was literally sitting at the traffic light saying, you know what? Maybe this weekend I'm going to go get command checks with the kids. We'll go do that. Downtown. Bam. So people ask you, and they, 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 want, they want to ask you, what do you want to see? What kind of punishment will you want to see? And I think part of it is, you know, some people want to see, you know, now here's a liberal. Now he wants hard justice, you know, and that sort of thing. And no, I don't – drunk driving is a scourge on our society. It is. It absolutely is. It's an absolute freaking disgrace. It is – the craziest part about it is it is 1,000 percent preventable in this day and age with Ubers and Lyfts and mass transportation or just staying your ass at home. You can, you, you know, and drink and do that. No, you don't have to ever get behind the wheel of a car and drive. It's, 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 it's amazing. And, you know, it just is, it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's hard to see how much of a problem we still are having. And it only seems to be getting worse, you know, snowmobiles and ATVs and boats, motorcycles, the never ending list of this crap at this point. At the end of the day, though, I, I, I did not, you know, no, I, even I did not want to see this guy thrown in jail for the rest of his life. But I did feel as if nearly killing someone shouldn't warrant, shouldn't that warrant you going to jail for a little bit of time? Shouldn't, shouldn't that be the case? Shouldn't that be the case? I'm not looking to destroy this guy's life, although he did some pretty serious damage to mine. It wasn't just me. I mean, we went through the holidays. My wife, she was in a dark place. It was, it was, it was incredibly hard. This is why I keep saying, and I said a lot, and I probably should say it again, how much I appreciated everyone reaching out during that time because that was hard. That was really hard. And between the anger and the sadness and the frustration and the recovery, you know, it really kind of broke me down mentally and I had to rebuild myself back up. But you have to get your expectations in gear and you have to look at the whole picture. And I got the kind of I, – I wrote a, a lengthy letter to the, the, the person I was working with with Hennepin County earlier this year. And I just vocalized my opinion that this is a joke. Come on. You gotta, there's got to be some punishment here. And you know, I felt sorry. And with all due respect to the people that work at Hennepin County, there are sentencing guidelines. They just basically – they can't you know, just willy-nilly – you know, do these things. And and by the way, it's it's like I said, it's not just here. And we were just talking about that case down in Scott County with a new Ulm officer who should be going to jail for sexually assaulting young girls and is apparently going to be having Netflix and getting DoorDash tonight as long as the DoorDash is delivered by someone who is 18 or older. At least, I mean, that's in theory that could be happening. And I And I think about you know, what if you were the parents of those kids? Would you feel as if that was there's some sort of level of of justice there? 
If you were one of the kids? Of course not. And it's a travesty that this is where we're at. It's been hard for me to come to grips with this. Yesterday, he pled guilty, was sentenced. He's going to be in a fairly intensive program, and he's on probation, so he could get eventually, if he fails fails his program, eventually he could get put back into jail. The reality is, is I don't know what's going to happen here. I hope that the... I hope that this is the case because it's taken me a long time and a lot of soul searching to realize there there is a right and there is a wrong. No, I don't think letting this guy go and saying, well, try not to do it again is right. I also don't think a lifetime sentence in jail is right either. We have lost sense of what is is appropriate anymore. And... You know, sometimes you can look at and, – and as I mentioned with the, the beginning of this discussion, the individuals that, that were in that car crash and the fact that there are going to be a lot of consequences for them that whether or not that they're, they, they will learn from this will remain to be seen. But at the same time, you know, sending them home and saying try not to do it again, I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing. We can't live in a world of absolutes because either, you know, the, 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 the absolutes are, the, are the, kind of the bad places to be. And whether that's heavy-handed sentences or non-existent sentences, absolutes are, are not justice. It took me some time. I'm going to take a break. It took me some time to come back and figure out what I wanted to say here as a victim. And I finally did. I'll talk about that when I come back. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Expectations and, and grief and going through this. And and just to give you an idea, and I'm I've got the green I got the green light back in March to to start lifting weights again and start doing things again, but I'm never going to be the same person I was before that accident. I it, it takes me time to bend down. Patrick's seen this, you know. If I drop something in the studio, it takes me you know it's a little bit of a process for me to bend down and get it, and then I got to come back up, and it usually takes me a second to reset it. And yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where that's my new normal, and I'm working on it. I I'm I'm trying to get better but it's it's likely that this is my new reality and so what do you do you know the the system you've you feel as if you know is it feeling it failed me feel like it didn't help me how about i say it like that i'm allowed as a victim to address the court and which I did, and this was read into the record, so I'm guessing at this point I can say these things. And um, you know, and and hopefully that there's there's some there's some weight that goes with this because you need to think about not just yourself and the actions there, but what you what you do to someone else when you do something like this. Um. Do I feel as if the if, if the the defendant would be a continued threat to the community if he drinks? Yes, I hope 
This is the wake-up call he needed to correct the mistakes he's made in his life. Um, things I could suggest on the sentence. I said, personally, I would be, I wish the sentencing guidelines allowed for at least a few months in confinement. He did almost kill someone with his reckless behavior, but I did not think heavy-handed long prison sentence would be appropriate or productive. I know the judge can't order this, but the defendant needs new friends. If he just rushes back to his, his same lifestyle and the same people that helped create this tragedy, it's not a question of whether he will fall, fail again, but rather when. He needs a clean slate and a new start to begin to make amends for his new actions. And then the final thing that was asked was, I would like the judge to know. <laughs> and I thought a long time about this. Because I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm sad. I was, like I said, I, I think back to that moment on what would have been the 11th of December and just how feeble and small and, and helpless I felt at that time. But I also felt to myself that I'm alive. I'm, I'm able to walk. That even though this cost us – we have good health insurance. We have good health insurance and still cost us tens of thousands of dollars, not including the extra amount of money I had to do to, 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 to buy a new car. I mean because I had a used – a car that was a few years old, so it didn't cover the – the check didn't cover everything. But I also knew that I was not going to get the the justice that I really was hoping I'd get. So what do I say? And it took me a long time. And here's what I said. I truly do hope this is the moment the defendant changes his life for the better. He has a lot of work to do. The heaviness of his actions is something he needs to deal with without alcohol or drugs. If he makes the course correction he needs to and works hard, he might have a chance at a happy life. If my back and my family's sacrifices are the catalyst for the change, then I do hope for him the best. That's all I could say. That's all I could say. We're not going to get the things we want necessarily, the justice we deserve, but you have to take within the parameters that are existent. I do hope this guy does clean up his life, and I do hope that basically his life goes for the better. But I'll always have, and I think in the back of my mind, this anger and this frustration. Every time I bend down to try to pick something up, I'll have a reminder of, of what, I, what it really cost me for this guy to hopefully take the clean path. Uh, Native Roots Radio is up next. We're back tomorrow. Till then, see ya.